It's good to insert yourself into Bible stories. But Trent Griffith says we need to be careful with the story of David and Goliath. Did you win every battle this week? No, how many of you lost a battle this week? How many of you fought, just how many of you turned and ran in the other direction when you saw the giant? You're like hiding now. You're like, you are not David. You need to insert yourself in the story, but you are not David. You are Saul. You are dismayed and afraid, and you should be because there's no way you can win this fight against your greatest enemy. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Gospel City Church in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Did you ever sing this song in Sunday school? I know toddlers enjoy singing the part about the stone going in the sling and the sling went. Okay, I've always thought that was a rather violent song to sing with toddlers. Thankfully, it stops just shy of the decapitation part. Today, we're going to hear from Pastor Trent that the way we often think of the account of David and the giant isn't always accurate. In fact, sometimes we completely miss the point. Here's Pastor Trent to explain. We are in our fifth message in this epic series, and I want to invite you to open to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We've been learning that the Bible simply has one epic story, and every time we open our Bibles, we are reading the unfolding epic story of Jesus. And so no matter who the characters are, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, it is one epic story with one epic hero. And what is his name? It's Jesus. Now, if you've been following along, we're in the seventh book of the Bible. And the last time we were together, we were in the second book of the Bible. So you should be asking, what have I missed? Well, let me kind of summarize for you in about two minutes, uh, about 500 years of ancient history. Are you ready? Here's what happened. You remember this whole promise started when God called to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. God made a promise that he would bless Abraham even though he only deserved a curse. God was going to reverse the curse, bless Abraham, and then he was going to use Abraham and his descendants to become a great nation, to bless all the nations of the earth. God gave Abraham a son. His name was Isaac. We found out there's a price to this promise, and God asked Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, but he stopped him. And in a sense, that promise was resurrected. And then we found out that at the end of the book of of Genesis, um, the people of Israel, the descendants of Abraham, had been enslaved by the nation of Israel. Egypt. And God raised up a man, his name was Moses, to confront Pharaoh and said, let my people go and serve me. And so through the Passover, through the crossing of the Red Sea, God once again resurrected that promise. And then in the wilderness, here's what you missed in those five books of the Bible, God gives those people his law and says, if you obey my law, 
you'll get continued blessing. If you disobey, it's not going to go great for you. God gave them his presence. The people built the tabernacle so they could gather to worship him as we have worshiped him this morning. And so then uh, they're led to the Jordan River. And remember, Joshua takes them across the Jordan River into the promised land. And we covered that whole book of Joshua a couple of years ago, if you were here. At the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua dies. And then for the next several hundred years, God gives his people Judges. That's the book of Judges that you have in your Bible. And not so great Judges, okay, but not great, not God's perfect plan. And yet, at the end of the book of Judges, there's a, a good judge. His name is Samuel. He was the best and the final judge. And yet the people were not so impressed with those judges. And they said in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 5, we want a king. Everybody else has a king. Why can't we have a king? Kind of like your kids ask for an iPhone. Everybody else has an iPhone. Why can't I have an iPhone? Am I the only one? Am I the only one? Okay, so that's, it's ingrained in human nature to ask for things that you shouldn't probably have. So they're asking, we want a king because all the other nations have a king. So they don't want judges. They don't want God. They want a king. God says, I am your king. We want a king. So he gives them a king. And what was his name? Does anybody know? Bible trivia time. King Saul, first king in Israel. It started out good, decent start, handsome, tallest, best looking dude, right? He would have made a fine candidate for the bachelor. Um, and he, he, was, he got a good start, but then he started to depart and disobey God until finally we get to 1 Samuel 15 and God rejects him. In actually 1 Samuel 16, if you're in that vicinity, look at verse 14. Chapter 16, verse 14. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit of the Lord tormented him. Not, not a good day for Saul. And so the next uh, part of that chapter tells us about a replacement king. A young shepherd boy, his name was David. He was the youngest in his family. He was the least. He had the, le the worst occupation. He was a shepherd, smelled like a sheep. And so that's the guy that God says, that's going to be your king. Why? What qualified him? We find out later. It's because he had a heart after God, a man after God's own heart. And then we get to chapter 17 finally, and we find out that the armies of Israel who are supposed to be occupying this promised land are confronted by a rival army, the Philistines, that should have been wiped out a couple of hundred years ago when Joshua came in, because God told Joshua to subdue all of those Canaanites and kick them out. They didn't. They compromised, made a peace treaty. So we have Philistines, giants in the land, and here they come on one side of this valley. On the mountainside, we have the armies of Israel. On the other side of the valley, we have the armies of the Philistines. So I would like to create that right here in the worship center today. Okay? We're going to divide the, the, the worship center right down the aisle here. You, this side gets to be the armies of the people of God. Aren't you jealous? Aren't you jealous? All right, there you are. That's good. And so you're lined up on this side of the valley and you're confronting the ugliest, baddest, most evil people uh, on this side of the valley. Okay, you guys get to be the Philistines. What would a bunch of Philistines sound like? 
Uh, you got it. Excellent. We are into the sermon today. You're all in the sermon today, okay? So this is where we pick up the story. And the point we're trying to make is this. We find God's people paralyzed by the enemy. Let's look at the scripture beginning in 1 Samuel 17, verse 4. If you're with me, grunt. There you go. We're right into it. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion. Everybody underlined the word champion in verse 4, and everybody put quotes around the word champion. If you were telling this story verbally, you would be using air quotes at this point. A champion. And by the way, what was his name? Goliath. You've heard this story. Does anybody not know this story? I mean, you could tell this story just if you've never even read the Bible, if you're not a believer, if you don't even believe the Bible, you know this story, right? I mean, it's, it's in the headlines. We see it all the time. There's a best-selling book right now by Malcolm Gladwell, David and Goliath. He does a TED Talk, David and Goliath. Everybody knows this story. You know what's about to happen here. But I want to venture to tell you, almost everybody tells it wrong. Malcolm Gladwell, incredible book. I love the book. I love the insight. But he misses the main point of the whole story. Most sermons and Sunday school lessons you've heard on this text are told wrong. If I do my job right, you do your job right. We're going to hear it through the lens of an epic rescue and an epic hero. And his name is not David. Let's continue to read. Let's find out about how impressive Goliath was. Verse 5 says he had a helmet, a helmet of bronze on his head, which is a good place for a helmet, and he was armed with a coat of mail. Now, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you have an NIV, you see that what it says is scale-like armor. It was scale armor. What do you think of when you think of scale? Fish or snake, right? Like, like a snake, like it just covers, uh, like shingles on a roof, uh, like a snake. He had a snake-like, scale-like armor on him. It tells us how much it weighed. Uh, and the coat was 5,000 shekels. Well, that clears things up. <laughs> how many shekels do you weigh? Like, <laughs> I have no idea. Um, about 125 pounds. All right. How many of you don't even weigh 120? You know, I won't even say that. That's not proper to ask in church, but... The dude is carrying the equivalent of a small woman on his back. It's a scale, 125 pounds. The dude was big. It tells us how tall he was. Verse, um, oh, I skipped that part. Look back up in verse 4. It tells us how tall he was. It says, whose height was six cubits. How many cubits are, you know, um, somewhere between six foot nine and nine foot nine. He was a giant of a man. And now he's got skill like armor. He says he's got a helmet. Verse 6 says he's got, uh, he's got uh, bronze armor on his legs. He's got a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. Verse 7 says he has a spear. And it, it says he has a shield bearer. I guess a little boy that came with him because of all the stuff that he needed to carry so that he could win this battle. It goes on in verse 8. It says he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel. Uh, this would be your part. Do you see what the script is there in your hand? Are you ready to say this together? Here we go. It says, say it with me. 
Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let them come down to me. That was excellent. That was awesome. That was good. Now notice what he says. He says, choose a man. You see, this was a very uh, uh, popular way to fight back in those days. You got two people on two groups of people on the sides of the hill. Instead of one taking the initiative and coming down into the valley to, to come up, what's going to happen if one army comes down off the mountain and comes down here? They're dead. What if, what if the other army comes down off their mountain and comes into the valley? What happens? They're dead. And so they're in a standoff. I think verse 16 says they had been standing off for 40 days. They'd been staring at one another. Finally, they say, let's do hand-to-hand combat. You choose your best man, we'll choose our best man, and we will have a fight right here in the valley. The only problem was their best man was nine feet, nine inches tall. Who should have come down from the Israelites to fight Goliath? Saul. That's what Goliath actually says. He, he says, you're servants of Saul. If Saul's too big of a coward to come out here, then send somebody. Let's do warfare. He says, you choose the man. By the way, that is an excellent question. If I do my job right, you do your job right. Before you leave today, you're going to make a choice. You are going to choose the man who will fight your giants. Saul said, I'm out. Um, And and he wouldn't want to go. So Goliath says, you choose the man. Verse 9 says, if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Verse 10, and the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard the words of the Philistine, they were dismayed. Everybody underline the word dismayed. And greatly afraid. Now think about why they were afraid. They were looking at someone who appeared to be invincible and it paralyzed them to move. Now, you may look at this like, is there really anybody that's that tall? Have you ever heard of this guy? You ever heard of that guy? Uh, That is Robert Wadlow. He lived in Chicago. He was a real dude. And um, he, at the time this picture was taken, he was 22 years old, 8 feet, 11 inches tall. And when he died at the age of 24, he was still growing. And um, he suffered from a disease called acromegaly. And it's a real thing. It's a benign tumor that settles in on the pituitary gland and causes an accelerated growth hormone just to continually grow you into a giant. Andre, any Andre the Giant fans out there? He had this disease. And it's speculated that possibly Goliath had this disease. It made him grow into a giant of a man. And so seeing someone that towered over them, Saul was dismayed and greatly Afraid. Can I ask you a question? Have you ever been there? Have you ever faced any of those kinds of giants? It's probably not a nine foot, nine inch man, but it could be something that actually 
paralyzes you to obey God, to act in faith, to do what God has told you to do, to believe the promise. You are facing some kind of giant. Maybe it's caught you off guard. Maybe you're living in fear that something's going to overtake you. It's made you dismayed. It means I do not know what to do at this particular moment. I'm confused. I don't have an answer. I don't have resources. I'm out of options. I realize I'm undersized. I'm under-resourced. I'm an underdog. And I'm terrified and I'm paralyzed. Who are we talking about? There's real people in here. I know there are people in church today because I know their stories. There are people here that this week got a diagnosis of terminal illness. And their giant is cancer. And as terrifying as that is, there's a 13-year-old girl in here today that is just as terrified of not getting the attention from a 13-year-old boy as that person is from being diagnosed with cancer. Terror and fear in the face of all kinds of perceived giants that we are paralyzed by. Now, having said that, I want you to understand that there are two ways to read your Bible. And the way you read this story is going to determine whether or not you are able actually to survive an encounter with that kind of giant. Here's the two options. Either the Bible is basically a book about me, or the Bible is basically a book about Jesus. How do we read this thing? Do do we like to come in here and stroke you and tell you you're awesome? Or do we read the story and say, Jesus is awesome on the best day, you're you're not. (laughs) So we're going to go with the second option. But the reason why people get this story wrong is because they read this story as if it's basically about me. How have you heard this taught to you? How have you read this story? Here's the thing. Here's the mistake. We naturally want to insert ourselves into the story, which you should do. We've learned that every page is about me and it's about Jesus. But we want to insert ourselves in the story at verse 12. What's verse 12 say? Now, David. You see, God presents this hero. And here he comes. He's an unlikely hero. He's undersized, but we know how the story ends, right? He's going to take down a giant. And so we want to insert ourselves and say, oh, to be like David. Yes, I have giants in my life, but if I will just overcome my fears, if I will just face my giants. There have been movies made about this. If I just face my giants and overcome my fears, if I would just ignore those fears, I can fight and I can win because deep down on the inside of me, there is a champion. So I'm going to train like a champion. I'm going to play like a champion today. Side note, side note. That sign hung in the Oklahoma University football team locker room 30 years before Lou Holtz hung it in the Notre Dame locker room in 1986. Just a side note, do unapologetic preaching around here, okay? But the moral of this story is not to inspire you to play like a champion today. You are not 
David, turn to your neighbor and say, you are not David. You are not a champion. And you know it. Because you got beat this week. You failed. You're a loser. Turn to your neighbor. Yeah, I mean, come on, admit it. Did you win every battle this week? No, how many of you lost a battle this week? How many of you fought, just, how many of you turned and ran in the other direction when you saw the giant? You're like hiding out. You're like, you are not David. You need to insert yourself in the story, but you are not David. Don't insert yourself in verse 12. Insert yourself in verse 11. You are Saul. You are dismayed and afraid, and you should be, because there's no way you can win this fight against your greatest enemy. And so don't say to yourself, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Give me a giant. You're dead. Because you're afraid and you're dismayed. Don't misinterpret the story and don't misinterpret Philippians 4.13. So how should you read this story? You need to confess, Lord, I can't win. I need a champion to go fight for me. A battle that I can't win. Let me ask you this. What are you afraid of? It's five fears that we are afraid of. We're afraid of failure. And we should be because we know we're failures. We, fail. we, we fear losing an ability or losing the ability to perform. We don't win the trophy. We don't win. On, I can't even win the battle over my own anger and my own flesh and my own sin appetites. And my, it, I can't even win as a husband to love the way that I'm supposed to love. And I can't win as a parent. I can't always be there to do the things that I wish I knew how to do. And, and on my best day, I know I'm a failure. And so I fear being known as a failure. I fear somebody else seeing that I'm a failure. And so what do we do? We try to hide and we try to cover up. We try to look strong. We try to act like we're a champion. And all you're doing is you're, you're just, you're afraid of being a failure. You're afraid of criticism. You're afraid of, afraid of people pointing out your weakness or pointing out your poor performance. You're afraid of losing acceptance or attention from a peer group or maybe from your parent or your child or a friend or like that 13-year-old girl. Why doesn't anybody pay attention to me? And, and why can't I ever please my teacher? And does she even know that I exist? And why can't I? You, we're afraid of criticism. We're afraid of loneliness. We're afraid of going through life alone. We're afraid of losing a relationship, maybe losing a marriage or, or, or losing a boyfriend or girlfriend. We're, we're afraid of losing a, a mom or a dad. We're afraid of suffering. Now here's where it gets real. When life gets hard and the diagnosis from the doctor is terminal, we fear losing peace. We fear losing the grace to be able to handle situations that are out of our control, battles we can't win. And we ought to fear those things. And we fear death. Come on, now it's real. Is there anything on the other side of death? Is there any way I'm getting out of this thing alive? We don't like to think about that. But when you go to a funeral 
You're forced to think about your own mortality. So we fear losing health. We fear losing life. And some people, I'm, I'm amazed at how many people fear losing their salvation. Listen, your salvation is not dependent upon your ability to win the fight. Your salvation is dependent upon Jesus' ability to win the fight with sin. If he's ever defeated, now you better fear losing your salvation. He's never lost one. He's undefeated. And so you don't have to fear losing your salvation. But you still do. Why is that? Because we don't read the story the way God intended it to be read. If you're afraid of these things, then you need a representative champion to go fight for you, not with you, for you, an unwinnable fight that only he can win. You see, the enemies of God still taunt the sovereignty of God. And like Israel, I need somebody to go fight for me. And we don't need to eliminate our fears. We need something to motivate us to face our fears and fight in the face of the fear. Good news. The story doesn't end in verse 11. If we got what we deserved, the Bible ends in verse 11. But we have David who enters the scene. Skip over to verse 32. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail for him. Are, are you guys paying attention? You, you, you guys represent David over here. You're the, you, you're the armies of, of Israel. You want to try that with me? Here it is. Look at it. Verse 32. What are we supposed to say? Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And so David says, there's no reason for heart failure here. Quit freaking out. I will go and fight. I'm a servant. I'm going to serve you by risking my life to fight for you. So the story continues. Look down at verse 36. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. Really? He has already won fights with lions and bears. How many feel like you had some fights with lions and bears this week? You're like, oh man, it's like, listen, all of the fighting with lions and bears is just to prepare you for the fight with the giant that's coming next week. So it's not going to get any easier. He says, this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear would deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, okay, <laughs> go for it. The Lord be with you. Be warmed and filled. We'll be praying for you. And we don't even know if Saul really believes this is going to turn out well, but he's like, all right, we'll give you a shot. Reading the story the way it was meant to be read, that's Trent Griffith from Gospel City Church. We'll hear the rest of that message next week here on Resonate. And don't forget, you can always review past episodes of Resonate when you go to mygospelcity.org slash resonate. Are you searching for a church to call home? If so, why not visit Gospel City Church for a worship service? Our main church campus is in Granger, just around the corner from University Park Mall. 
But did you also know that we meet in Elkhart County? Yes, we do. For more information about service times and exactly where we meet, just go to mygospelcity.org and click where you see I'm new here. Again, that's mygospelcity.org. And if you're on Facebook, look up Gospel City Church and follow us there. Well, next week on Resonate, Pastor Trent points us to the real hero of the story of David and Goliath. Join us and you can find out who that is. Thanks for listening today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's Word would resonate in your heart this week. Resonate with Trent Griffith is a radio and podcast ministry of Gospel City Church. Visit us online at mygospelcity.org.